Hey, hey, everybody. On today's episode of the Ringer NFL Show, it is Super Wild Card Weekend. Warren Sharp and I are breaking down every one of the six games. We are beginning the journey, the quest to go 13-0 and in playoff bets. We're giving out angles on every one of the six games, along with a couple bonus angles. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. I'm Warren Sharp. I'm joined, as I always am, by Joe House. And House, we have a big announcement to make off the top, my friend. Sharpie, it is the wildest wild card weekend so you know how some might call it super wild card weekend super wild card weekend you know how we get down here at the ringer this weekend immediately following the final game saturday and the final game sunday the ringer nfl show will be going live on saturday you can watch that not just listen to but watch kevin clark and ryan Rosillo, and then on sunday Kevin Clark and Nora Pachati will be breaking down every single playoff match up. Make sure you are subscribed to the ringers YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the ringer. And of course you are following us on the Twitter machine at ringer NFL. All right, Sharpie. So that's the business in the books. We've got everybody lined up for taking down what has happened over the weekend, but we have some prognosticating to do, my friend. This is the quest to go 13-0. and 0. Are you ready for these playoffs? My friend, some could say I've been waiting for a year for this moment. It is the most wonderful time of the year. Some people thought that, you know, a couple... Weeks ago, Christmas, New Year's was the most wonderful time. This really is, they call it super wildcard weekend. I love you add the super to it. It makes it sound extravagant. And they do have six games this weekend for us. Typically, I love the divisional round because you had four teams resting at home, getting healthy. The best of the best in the NFL, the two teams in each conference that had a bye, rejoin the rest of the group that advanced from wildcard weekend. But I got to tell you, it is kind of nice to have six teams and only one sitting at home resting. It is going to be a brilliant weekend. And I'm really excited to break down these games with you because I think there's a lot of interesting angles and matchups here. I I don't typically love house divisional rematch games. We've seen these teams play a couple times already. I'd rather see some new intriguing matchups, but um, I got to tell you, I've I don't know how many cups of coffee I've had so far today, and uh, I I need them. It's it's fun to 
help some of these guys with ideas for the postseason and 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 see if it's successful out on the football field. So I'm really looking forward to these games and, and obviously extremely anxious at the same time. Yeah, well, I will tell you, I could tell how excited you were going to be for today's show because I heard you on with the pod father on the BS podcast, you and Simmons talking a little bit about what to anticipate further down the road in terms of potential matchups. And, and it was a pretty chalky conversation, but that's fine. Nothing, you know, no games have been played yet. And, and all of the possibilities, the variables out there are intriguing. But one thing that left out of that conversation that really hit home, this, my friend Warren Sharp, is a test of our relationships. Our loved ones are really having to make a sacrifice for us this weekend because at 12.55 in the afternoon on both Saturday and Sunday, I am going to disappear and I will reconnect with my family probably around midnight on, on both days. Uh, and I, Is your I family feel- also known as a pillow in your bed? <laughs> They're going to be long asleep before you talk to them until the next morning. Well, this is right. I mean, I might have to sneak in and give, give the 10 year old a kiss on the head and, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, some kind of nice gesture for my wife. I'm probably going to have to come up with uh, flowers, um, some kind of chocolate, bottle, something on Monday morning needs to be waiting for my wife when she comes downstairs in the kitchen. Wow. That's a I good think. idea. That's a good idea for, for, for my family. Uh, it's going to be business as usual. I'm always like zoned out, uh, just <laughs> in the bunker working yeah. and not typically not quite as hard on Saturdays, but it's, it's still usually pretty crazy because actually, um, Saturdays is a day that I'm doing advanced work for the next week's games when I'm working for teams. So I spend like Friday nights and Saturdays working on advanced stuff uh, for like the, the the following week's games. Um, but now we're going to be watching games all day Saturday and all day Sunday. It's actually easier though, House. The interesting thing is you got some live betting opportunities, some in-game wagering opportunities. It's a lot easier to uh, spot those and act upon them because you're actually watching every game. I really am reluctant. There's some people who follow along with games or, or watch the red zone only. I, I do. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, alienate like two thirds of our audience here, but I, I just, I just don't understand watching the red zone. I, I can't, I can't fathom trying to keep up with the NFL and just watch the red zone. It, it makes no sense to me, but, um, yeah, there's some people who do that and then try also to live bet. And that's not a good idea, but this is a good opportunity. You're watching every single game. But my, I would highly encourage you, if you're doing this live betting, only do it during commercial breaks. That's the only time you're going to get a true line because everybody else is like 10 seconds ahead of you if you're just watching on TV. So they already have some ideas. They'll set some faulty numbers there on their line. So just live bet during commercials to get the most fair and accurate numbers from the books. See, we didn't even have a sharp points lined up for, for this week's conversation. And there it is. You just gave it out this week's sharp points. Please feel free to go ahead and do some live betting. But as brother sharp, just advise, wait till commercial. So you make sure you're getting something fair. Cause we have talked about on this pod over the course of the season that mostly live betting is pretty slanted against 
the better uh, over the the regular kind of the regular season. It still is. It's still it's it still is a hundred percent. It's difficult to pick your spots, but the point being that the 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 times that you want to live bet or you might be interested in doing that would be when you're actually watching the game. And because there's nothing overlapping any of these games, they're all standalone. Everybody out there can actually watch these games. And then number two, you just want to make sure that you're not getting screwed, um, getting a pl- getting a, a a bet mid series or something like that when the lines aren't fair enough. So yeah, just so that- make sure you're doing it during a break. There's a strategy call right out of the box. I'm interested in, and I don't know the answer to this. We did not discuss this by email or in our pre-show conversation. What do you, Warren Sharp, and the folks that you work with, how do you approach the playoffs uh, in in terms of your betting strategy? Is it the same uh, in terms of just looking for value opportunities selectively? Or or do you increase the number of bets that you make? Is there an increase in the amounts? How how do you guys approach the playoffs? Well, that's a really good question. Um, So I approach things as if I know more than the sports books do in many cases, because I have more time to research these games and I have more time to analyze things that in every single game that I may not get to during a course of a 16 game, uh, you know, regular week when I have some other responsibilities and you just can't dive into this level of detail. And, and certainly like my track record has shown that I've been able to do that and have success and, and beat these guys. I, I do better. I am more successful betting in the postseason than I am even during the regular season. Um, so in, in terms of my, my win rates up in, up in a nice high comfortable rate. So, um, I am looking for other types of derivative bets and you'll see that some, um, house this week, I'm looking for some derivative bets that are, what that means is I'm not just looking at, well, yeah, Buffalo minus six and a half or over 51, right? There's other ways to attack the game besides just taking the standard bets that are on the very first page of your sports book. When you go to bet the game, you click a button, it's called more wagers. And now you have other ways to bet on this game. And some of those provide better angles, more opportunities, especially as you dig into matchups and research some things a little bit more. So I am, I'm betting uh, a lot on these games. I'm betting more angles on these games and more derivatives. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's a ton just, of fun. Yeah. Just cause you have this opportunity to deploy your informational advantage um, in in a in a more uh, direct way because you, you said it, there's just less games. Yeah, but um, let me also tell you this: like for a public's perspective, number one, the lines obviously are, are a little bit sharper in general. Like the sides are going to be a little bit sharper because the books have fewer games to handicap. Number two, the public has a little bit more say in some of these games because. It's almost like every single one of these games, especially when you get down to four games and then the conference championship games, it's it's like a standalone Sunday night football game during the regular season or a Monday night football game, right? Like everybody who likes to bet on football is betting on that particular game. And some of these guys are betting higher dollar amounts because these are good teams. These are teams that they're used to seeing. These are teams that have, I mean, they're not going to be in the playoffs if they're not covering spreads for you. So, you know, you have an affinity to bet the Buffalo Bills because they covered seven or eight in a row. And so you're like, oh my God, I know this team really well. I'm going to bet a lot of money. And I see you breaking stuff over at your house there. 
you're on Ride the Buffalo the Bills, Bills train. train. There the you Bills go. Train. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, so there's a confidence level that increases amongst the public. They put more money into the marketplace on every single one of these games than typical. So there's opportunities to fade the public, uh, to go against some of the the little half point line move that the public mm. might have influenced um, that you can get, which you wouldn't have been able to get during the regular season on a random 1 p.m. Sunday afternoon game. So uh, there are some opportunities to do some different things. And 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 this is the one time when I will say that uh, the public has a little bit more of an influence over the final result of a number. Now, if you're talking about a big move, like the Pittsburgh Steelers opening at three and a half and now are sitting at five and a half or six, like that's not from the public, right? The public right. doesn't move numbers that far, but you, you are going to get slight tweaks from the public that you wouldn't be able to recognize um, most of the time during the season. All right. Well, look, uh, we've been doing this, you know, through all 17 weeks of the regular season. We've really been building to this moment. And through the course of those 17 weeks, many, many times we talked about bets that I liked, um, bets that you liked, things that we might play. We never really, during the course of the regular season, bit down hard and said, yes, we are affirmatively going to do this. This is the house and sharp preferred angle on this particular game or, or situation. Uh, I mean, there were a couple instances where we had, you know, pretty vigorous agreement, but um, for the purposes of these playoffs, I want us for each game. There's, there are 13 games uh, starting with Saturday, the Buffalo bills and the Indianapolis Colts running through the super bowl. I want to have 13 winning bets. I want to see if we can do it. And you know, it's it's our show, so we make the rules, and we can pick what whatever angle or situation we like. It could be a side, it could be uh, a total, it could be a total in the first half, it could be a total in the second half, it could be uh, um, a a leg and a teaser, but or, or just a plain old money line bet. I want to see if we can give out uh, starting with this week. Let's see if we can give out six winning bets to all our betting buddies out there. What do you think? I think the best thing for me to do in this instance is to be the little devil and angel on your shoulder. Okay. Okay. Um, and, okay. And, I like and I it. will, I will whisper, uh, some things in support or sometimes, you know, I talk to guys that I work with and, and they, they are very negative. Uh, they're very reluctant about certain things, but they don't dislike it. We're just trying to provide reasons why something might fail. And oftentimes it's easiest to try to figure out if you like something by focusing on the negative first. And if the negatives aren't that bad and you can work your way past the negatives, then you probably got something that is really good. Um, so I will be the voice of, of, uh, of reason to be positive or contrarian. And then you can decide if you still like that, uh, wager or not, but I will certainly try to try to help as I can for you to achieve this landmark uh, goal. But I, I think it's going to be very difficult for you to make it through here unscathed, but let's give it a shot. I mean, you, you never yeah, why know. Why not? Right now we're zero and zero and anything is possible. We have KG. six games. KG is in the house. Six games. Let's try and do this in 60 minutes. We'll see if we can give out um, some some good advice and some good observations and maybe try and win a couple bucks along the way. The first game of the weekend, it is the Indianapolis Colts at 
the Buffalo Bills. You mentioned already Buffalo laying six and a half. The total's 51 points. The Bills' first home playoff game in 25 years. And I think they're allowed to have, what, did they say 10,000 fans? 5,000 fans? They're letting some fans. Yeah, and the fact is, it really doesn't matter the number. You're going to get uh, probably some players' families there, and yeah. these guys are get to play in front of them for the first time. And that alone right there is special. And it doesn't matter if there was 30,000 or 10,000. Like The fact that those guys get to play in front of some of their family and some fans that hopefully have jumped through uh, through some tables at their house before they went to the stadium because I'm guessing they're probably not going to allow tailgating. Most of these places don't. So jumped through some tables, had a few adult beverages and are enjoying themselves. Uh, it's going to make for a fun atmosphere. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, there's no reason for you and I to spend a bunch of time singing the praises of Buffalo. We were doing it um, each week on the show. Uh, over the last 10 games, the Bills are nine and one. Uh, only loss coming on the Hale Murray to Kyler Murray in Arizona. Uh, over those 10 games, the Bills are second in the league in points scored. They're scoring just under 35 points a game. Um, and their defense has been pretty good. Sixth in points allowed. They're allowing less than 21 points a game since the week 11 by. They have the largest point differential in the league. 229 points, 110 points. You mentioned it. They're on a great streak against the spread, 8-0. and And yet this Indianapolis Colts team feels like a spicy underdog. I mean, I really feel like I learned a lesson over the last half of the season, which is not to go against the Bills under any circumstances. But these are a lot of points for an Indianapolis team that um, on the one hand disappointed me and frustrated me a bit because they let teams come in back into games in the second half. The Colts were not a great second half team um, over the second half of the season. We watched both the Ravens and the Steelers come back after Indianapolis opened up those games um, in really good form and looked like they, they had the formula to beat both of those quality teams. They ended up losing both of those games. And on top of that, the Jacksonville Jaguars put the, 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 the uh, you know, put a scare in America uh, this past Sunday. I mean, the, the Colts went out, felt like it was going to be comfortable. They let the Jaguars score two touchdowns. It was 20 to 14 with three and a half minutes left in this football game. The outcome very much in doubt and then fortunately, uh, Jonathan Taylor uh, went on a run. They won by 14, covered in some spots. It was a push in some spots, and they failed to cover it in, in other spots. But in any event, um, the, the, the Colts have, have been kind of frustrating this year. What is your take on this matchup? Well, let's approach it first from the Buffalo Bills perspective. If, if I'm the Buffalo Bills we have got to be starting this game, passing the football on first down. Now, my narrative this whole season, my narrative for, for the listeners out there, this is nothing surprising for you, but I am a little bit down on the Indianapolis Colts defense compared to many other people out there. So I'm, I'm sort of a fader of the Indianapolis Colts defense. Um, and the one thing is a fact, though, they do get better 
on third down. They're very good on third down, but on first down, they are allowing two passes from 11 personnel since their week seven bye, a 70% success rate, 9.8 yards per attempt and plus 0.43 expected points added to first down passes in the first three quarters of games. That is like a blinking buy sign for the Buffalo Bills and Brian Dayball to throw the football on first down and take advantage of this pass defense that gets markedly better on second and third downs, where on each of those downs, they have negative EPA allowed to 11 personnel on each of those downs and less than 48% success rate on both of those downs. So um, you want to be passing the football on first down. When I look at this game, though, when I look at this line, the line itself certainly looks to be a little bit inflated because of the 8-0 cover rate that Buffalo has undergone. And everybody, myself included, leading the charge that this team is just a ridiculously great offense. I've shared it before. Recap, two key points. Only one other team in NFL history has recorded at least 20 first downs every single game of the season. That was the 2012 New England Patriots. The Buffalo Bills are the second team to ever have done that. Number two, the Buffalo Bills have punted the second fewest times in NFL history for a 16-game season. So this is a team that has done very well offensively, and everybody knows that by now. Everybody sees these high point totals. Everybody sees that they put up 50 freaking six points on what, what, what a lot of people thought probably until that game. I still think he's great, but I don't think he is the coach of the year, but the coach of the year, Brian Flores, and his top-ranked defense, right? I mean, how are you going to allow a backup quarterback to come in over half the game and put up that many points against you? I know some of it was defensive, but uh, extremely impressive performance. So let's look at this number. We'll say the Indianapolis Colts have never been made an underdog of more than three points in any game this year, and now they're catching six and a half to seven points. Right there alone is like, okay, this is a totally different category of line that you're putting on the Indianapolis Colts. Secondly, the counter to that house is that every single time they've been made an underdog, they've lost straight up and against the spread. So yeah. they've lost to the Browns, they've lost to the Steelers, and they've lost to the Baltimore Ravens as an underdog. So when the odds maker makes these guys a dog, they're making these guys a dog for a reason. If you like the Indianapolis Colts, you got to start thinking in your mind, what is the path to victory here? You don't want to be down at halftime. If you are down at halftime, obviously, you know, you don't win many of your games, but the Colts have actually done a pretty good job of getting back into some games that they have trailed at halftime. I believe they've been down at halftime in five games. And in those five games, they've actually gone three and two, if I'm not mistaken. But What's gotten them back in those games, obviously their offense has had to do something, but their defense has been on point with halftime adjustments. They've allowed just 5.6 second half points in these games when they're trailing at the half. Now, 5.6, we're talking about less than two field goals, obviously less than a touchdown. That's all they're allowing. Could the Buffalo Bills offense score just 5.6 points in the second half here? Probably unlikely. So, you know, you're not going to really have this massive adjustment that the Colts are going to make that's going to completely foil the plans of the Buffalo Bills offense. You're going to have to do something in the first half here. The key, of course, is running the football, being well balanced, using Jonathan Taylor. The Indianapolis Colts have a very explosive rushing offense with Taylor of late. Now they've played some bad run off uh, run defenses. The Buffalo Bills 
rank number 30 in the NFL at explosive run defense. So they will give up some chunks on the ground. Um, but I, th- I think this game is interesting because I'm never going to count out the Colts, even if they're down at halftime with the way that they can throw the ball and get back into games. And I am talking about the Colts. Like we know the bills are great, but the Colts can throw the ball and get back into games. And I don't know what the bills defense is. I don't really know what either of these defenses is, to be honest with you house. I, I think both are a little bit overrated. Well, and and um, we've seen with our own two eyes, Indianapolis in particular, being susceptible to um, deep ball scores. That's how Pittsburgh ended up coming back against them. And that's in, in very recent uh, memory. Um, the thing that, that scares me with Indianapolis is their, their secondary, uh, speaking of the defense, they haven't picked off a, a, a pass in, in, in three games. And they've allowed four of the past five opposing quarterbacks to throw for 315 yards or more. The other thing that concerns me if the Colts are behind is looking back at the Colts schedule, the coldest game it looks like Rivers has played in, say, like the the last six or seven games was at Pittsburgh just after Christmas. It was a high of 42 degrees but bunch of those games in the latter half of the schedule were dome games and we know Phil Rivers coming from uh San Diego and and the, and the West Coast didn't clock a ton of cold weather games right Sharpie No doubt about it um it looks to me like the last time that the Chargers played in a game with a temperature of 35 degrees or less they did it once in 2019 out in Denver where they lost 23 to 20 and they haven't done it prior to that since the 2014 season. So Philip Rivers obviously has aged a lot since 2014. And I am showing current that the, the current forecast is supposed to be the warmest at like midnight the night before. Uh, it slowly drops in temperature over the course of the day. And that when this game kicks off at one o'clock, what I am seeing right now, obviously could vary a little bit. I am seeing temps in the upper 20s and it's going to feel like right around 20 degrees based yes. upon that. Now, no wind yes. to speak yes. of, no issues right. with that, but it is going yep. to feel bitter cold for a team that plays in a dome. And and we're, all we're talking about is, you know, the scenario under which the Colts fall behind because of the Bills' explosive offense. And do you trust yourself? Do you trust your money? Do Can, can you look yourself in the mirror and counting on on Philip Rivers to deliver uh, a potential backdoor cover <laughs> if you take the Colts and those points. Here's what I want to do on this game. This feels like, to me, a perfect teaser leg. I don't want to bite down too hard. I don't want to wa- walk in and just be you know wiped out immediately. I love teasing the, the, the six and a half down to a half. And that way, um, you know, it, it's, it's cheaper than a money line bet um, that way. And uh, I feel like that's a good way to get the weekend started. Are you, do you, what do you think about the Bills as a teaser leg to start this super wild card weekend? So I don't mind the Bills as a teaser leg. The only caution I would have is what are you pairing it with? And you better make sure that whatever you end up pairing with it later in the show goes through some key numbers because this one obviously is only going through the three. Because if what you like 
to pair this with does not, you're probably better off with just a money line parlay. I know you said a money line alone isn't good, but if you have a leg, let's say that you wanted to tease and it's not going through the three and seven, then you just money line parlay that with the Buffalo Bills. Um, I will say this to your adding to your case a little bit. Uh, the most fearsome thing that I see when I look at the Indianapolis Colts defense, um, obviously they're pretty good against the run, right? But that doesn't work as well against a team like the Bills who just wants to pass, who's fine with passing the ball a fair amount. And the weather appears to be good. So they should be able to pass the ball a fair amount. Now they may be down Cole Beasley, but at least they got John Brown back and had a chance to work him um, into the offense. The other thing that if you're passing the ball against the Colts, that's always scary. And this is one of the reasons why we didn't love the Pittsburgh Steelers against the Colts is because the Steelers at the time, if you remember this, and it's very good to bring this up, the Steelers were throwing all these short passes to their wide receivers. And this was going to be easy for the Bills, great linebacking core to rally up and defend. And the Steelers don't use any type of play action. So their linebackers are just going to sit there for the Colts see what's in front of them, come downhill and attack. And that's exactly how they were able to get a 21 to seven lead. They completely shut down and stifled this Pittsburgh Steelers passing attack in the first half. What ended up happening was Ben Roethlisberger starts drawing up plays in the dirt from back several years ago before Randy Fickner <laughs> had a game plan for that game. And they start using that and throwing the ball down the field a little bit more often. Well, the other thing that I started looking at here was, so number one, the Bills do like to throw the ball a little bit more down the field. So that is going to benefit them in this game. But number two, I started digging into that linebacking core, that formidable linebacking core of, of Darius Leonard and Bobby Okariki and Anthony Walker. And these guys are very solid linebackers, get great grades in general, but their coverage has been abysmal from like week 11 onward. I mean, Darius Leonard from weeks 11 to 16, I don't love to factor in week 17 sometimes because you don't really know what a team's motivation is. And, you know, the Jaguars, like that's who they played week 17. I typically don't factor too uh, too much week 17 into what I look at. Um, he was targeted 32 times, Darius Leonard. 30 of those passes were completed for 9.6 yards per attempt. Bobby Okariki is allowing 10.1 yards per attempt. He missed a couple games in there, but he's been allowing a lot more. I mean, this linebacking core has not been quite as formidable in coverage as I was expecting them to be when I broke down their numbers at the tail end of the season here. So um, I'm expecting that Buffalo is aware of that. I'm expecting Buffalo is not going to shy away um, from targeting them. The one thing that I would say before you finalize this wager and everybody out there listening Really interesting game to go back and watch an NFL game pass. Watch their game. I believe it was week 11 versus the Green Bay Packers where Green Bay exploded on these guys early and then couldn't do much late. I know they turned the ball over a couple of times, but they had two straight three and outs to start the second half, allowed the Colts to rally from a big deficit to get back into that game. Um, and, and I am studying personally what the Colts were doing. I really have a lot of respect for their DC, Matt Eberflus, what they were doing in that second half to try to stymie uh, the passing attack of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, but but it, this is going to be a great game to kick things off. I really, truly wish this wasn't the first game. I, I, I honestly kind of wish that we got Tampa at Washington here. Uh, we're going to talk about that game in a few minutes. Uh, Tom Brady wouldn't have been up past his bedtime and we could have the Colts <laughs> bills in prime time. That would have been ideal to me.
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I was kind of surprised. I know that Bill and, and the cousin Sal, they try um, when the slate comes together late Sunday of week 17 to figure out which one's going to get into that um, first game of the wild card weekend slot. And and cousin Sal had forecasted this one because he he didn't think that the NFL um, w- would uh, uh, miss out on the opportunity to have terrific t- uh, Tampa Tom uh, in primetime, but I agree with you. The, the we, we just watched Washington in primetime. It wasn't enjoyable. America didn't enjoy it. Go ahead and let us watch some, some quality football between two che- teams that have really accomplished something this season. If, we, if, we, get, if we get Tom Brady holding up four fingers uh, at the end of that game, then <laughs> then it'll make it all worth it. I just want, if, if, if he's going to drop that game, I want him standing there holding up four fingers, uh, staring well, at the camera. You know, if that's the case, how happy I, I'm going to be. I don't know if I'm going to make it to the Sunday games. Uh, it'll, it'll be halfway through that day. But in any event, okay. So uh, you didn't throw up all over the idea of a teaser leg. Um, for the Colts, I think that's going to be the play. I mean, the teaser leg for uh, the Bills uh, at 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 um, plus a half. So that that's that's sort of just file that away. Let's go ahead and talk about the next game of uh, Saturday. It is the Los Angeles Rams at Seattle. Seattle, um, from the book I looked at, favored by three and a half, and the total there is forty two and a half. This is. The third matchup between these teams um, this season, it's the the third time they're playing each other in, in eight weeks. Um, they split. Uh, the Rams won in week 10 by a touchdown, 23-16. The Seahawks won uh, at home a couple weeks ago, 20-9. to uh, I want to start with Seattle. It's been a tale of two seasons for them. Um, their defense was looking historically bad, especially their secondary in terms of giving up passing yards and passing scores through the first half of the season. And then since Seattle lost to Buffalo 44 to 36, a big shootout game in early November, Seattle has not allowed more than 23 points in eight straight games. Quick note on that 20 to nine Seahawks win a few weeks ago, misleading outcome, right? The Rams had five of the seven longest drives in that game, had zero points on two of them and zero touchdowns on the others. Uh, And it's not like Seattle's uh, red zone defense is uh, incredible. Um, the, The Rams offense under Wolford last week, I don't know what to make of it. I I I didn't hate it. Um, it looked like the kind of game stewardship, game management kind of approach that might work uh, in the playoffs. But I mentioned the tale of two um, seasons for Seattle. So the defense went from being uh, ho- horrific to passable, and. R- the, the offense went through a Jekyll and Hyde uh, identity swap as well. We went from let Russ, Russ cook um, through the first half of the season and, and through the first, you know, eight games, they were throwing the ball on first down 55%, uh, 56% of the time, fourth highest rate of the league. And some of this is from your colleague rebar. I had to hit his fantasy notes to get some of these uh, stats set up. But over the last eight games, Seattle's throwing the ball less than 50% of the time uh, on, on first down, only 47%. That's 21st in the league. 
and they're averaging 23 points a game with uh, only two games scoring more than 26 points. So, uh, you know, they're, they're, these, these two teams are, are pretty evenly matched. I don't like um, one side versus the other. What I'm looking at for this game is the total at 42 and a half. Um, but what are you? What are your? What are your thoughts? How do you handicap this one? Well, I'll start with uh, something that Rich was picking up on. And by the way, we have unlocked everything for fa- for Rich's columns. All the fantasy stuff is totally free for the postseason. So you, can, everybody who's listening, can just go and read all that stuff completely free. Um, so number one, check that out at Sharp Football. But number two, um, I I gotta say, I mean, it's a little bit disappointing. You look at this total. And and I'll I'll jump on the uh, I'll jump on the uh, pass percentages in a second. But the bigger story here to me is you look at this total and it's down to forty two and a half as you mentioned forty two. And I mean, what was it the first time that these teams met in week ten? It was fifty five, fifty four and a half. The next game that they played it was week sixteen, just a couple of weeks ago, and it was down to forty-seven. But we're still talking about almost five points higher than what we're at right now. And in the prior four meetings in twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen, we're talking about totals that were in forty-seven to fifty, fifty-two uh, point range. We are sitting lower in part because of Jared Goff's finger, but not that much because you know Jared Goff and this Rams offense really wasn't doing a whole lot with with uh complete use of his fingers uh just wasn't <laughs> wasn't a very accurate uh quarterback didn't play with a lot of confidence was having some issues in this offense um and it's not quite it's a far cry let's say from what the rams were trotting out there they cannot go deep down the field and i especially don't expect them to be able to go deep down the field with goff and his finger i do expect goff is going to start this game um so i do not think we're going to see uh, Walford, but I will say I was the one upside that he brought house was that scrambling ability and the rushing ability. Cause Goff really doesn't do that. And if he's playing with the hurt finger, even less reason for him to do that. So I don't expect much movement from Goff in terms of running the football. I don't expect many deep shots because if there's any time he's going to, he wasn't very accurate on those this season to begin with, but if his fingers nicked up, which it's worse than nicked. But if it's on the mend, the more accurate passes are going to be the shorter ones. It's going to be even harder to develop that accuracy, trying to drive the ball deeper down the field. Um, So it's going to play a little bit tighter to the vest, which is going to help the Seahawks defense. And then the other reason why the total is low is because of the way that Seattle's offense is playing. And you alluded to that with regard to the early down run rate Um, after this team had seven consecutive weeks where they passed the ball at a 60% rate or higher on early downs in the first half of games, they shifted to no more than 50% pass on first half early downs for two straight games. And over their last seven, they've had just three games with a pass rate above 50% on first half early downs. Um, they were above 55% on eight of nine of their first games of the season in terms of first half early down pass rate and significantly lower. They were the number one most pass heavy team on early downs in the first half of games through week 10. And they've dropped down. Now they're not bottom of half of the league. They're not one of the least passing teams in the league. They are still number 13 
since week 11. So let's not go completely crazy here saying that this team just doesn't pass the football at all anymore. But the most interesting thing is when they were passing on those early downs in the first half of games at a 64% clip, number one highest rate in the NFL through week 10, those passes were averaging 9.6 yards per attempt and a 61% success rate. Over the last month and a half since week 11, 9.6 yards per attempt is down to 6.0 and 61% success is down to 57% success. And this is in part due to the fact that opposing defenses are playing a lot more of two high safety looks cover two, which is exactly what the Rams are going to play against them as well. And we know that Russell Wilson struggles tremendously against this. Over the course of the entire season, when he's being played with a single high safety, Russ is averaging 8.3 yards per attempt with 8.7% of his passes going for a touchdown. And this is from Dan Pizzuto over at my site. Against two high safeties, 7.3 yards per attempt with only 4.8% touchdown rate. So the touchdown rate is basically cut in half. The Rams play almost nothing but two high safeties and they have a lot of coverage back there. They take away the deep passes to DK Metcalf. They force you to play a little bit more cautiously. And Russ seems to want to try to go for these deeper shots instead of taking the smaller stuff underneath. And they tend to to run the football a little bit more because the Rams don't stack the box. And so the the QB pre-snap sees run looks that appear to be solid. And then it encourages runs. This is exactly what I would be doing if I'm defensive coaches, I'm trying to get teams to run the ball. I don't want them passing uh, on me. I want them to burn themselves out trying to run the ball a ton and then hope that they get called for a holding penalty, which I'll digress for a second here, House, but I'm predicting that holding penalties are going to be down in the playoffs. All types of penalties are, and I'm encouraging all offensive coaches to get their offensive linemen to hold a little bit more often because it's going to be unlikely. Uh, In certain games, I've already looked at the referees, and this is something that you have a chance to do when you only have six games to handicap, is to look at the certain refs that are refing different games because the refs are the guys that stand behind the line by the past the quarterback off the side and tend to throw most of these holding calls so even if they got different guys on their crew those guys are going to be the bronze primarily responsible for calling offensive holding and you can look at their trends and how many which refs call holding and which refs don't and uh and i'm certainly using that as i'm talking to some different offensive coordinators this week oh wow i mean there, there you go for the for the, some so a sharp point for any coordinators that might be listening to this week. Well, so we the, the tale of two Seattle's. They won six of their last seven games of the season. They did score. Uh, I just wanted to mention, you know, they scored forty points against the Jets, uh, you know, four weeks ago. Um, but otherwise, you know, they won twenty six twenty three because they scored two touchdowns right at the end against the Forty ers The Rams game was twenty to nine. The Washington football team game was 20 to 15. They lost to the Giants 17 to 12, and they beat uh, the Eagles 23 17 and the Cardinals 28 21. So it's not like what we saw. They were averaging, you know, over 35 points a game at the beginning of the season. You and Simmons touched on this uh, in the Simmons podcast. Um, The formula that we're looking for out of Seattle is a slight return to that aggressive approach to throwing the football on early downs plus this improved defense. And Jamal Adams is insisting that he's going to play. So that's an important part of the improved defense. 
for for Seattle. It, is that formula enough to make me feel comfortable laying three three and a half at home? Um, it should be. It should be. I mean, when you're talking about going up against uh the the Rams now. The line is dipping and the line is dropping. And I think especially if Jared Goff gets announced up, which I'm expecting that's going to happen, then you're going to find that this line is going to certainly get to a better spot. So my advice is if you do like Seattle, you wait this one out and get a better number later once Jared Goff gets announced up. I am not advocating to take Seattle here, but I'm simply saying that if you want to bet Seattle, I would wait. Okay. Well, I um, don't have a strong feeling uh, one way or the other between these two teams. And um, the the one aspect that, that does leap off the page, having seen a good bit of these teams over these last eight weeks with, with the, you know, this being the third game is I, maybe this is the wrong way to go about it, but I, it just feels like an under to me. Um, it, it seems like two offenses – that um you know have been going through an identity crisis uh with especially with with the rams but you know i think all things being equal the seahawks would prefer to win these playoff games with defense and so i'm inclined my lean on this is the under on 42 and a half i think you've got two offensive coaches well a defensive coach in Pete Carroll but an offensive coach of Brian Schottenheimer plus Sean McVay that have a healthy amount of respect for the defense on the other side of the field. And I do tend to think that although I would, I would argue that both of these offenses need to come out more aggressively when you've got a quarterback, my estimation that Jared Goff is starting this game, he's going to be playing with a nicked up finger. You're not going to want him to just come out dropping passes all over the place and and throwing the ball down the field deep and possibly risking an interception. So you're going to want to come out, I think, from Sean McVay, hopefully a really good scripting to try to confuse with Cooper Cup back, try to confuse the Seahawks defense a little bit, some misdirection, some things like that. So Seattle better be better be on their P's and Q's from that perspective. But um I would expect that they would come out a little bit more conservatively. And typically, you know. Seattle, like this would be the spot, let Russ cook a little bit early and then have him have him turn to the run late. But they oftentimes go with the opposite strategy where they they're like, okay, let's not lose the game early and let's let Russ win it for us late, which is exactly what you don't want to need to have happen so frequently. Um, But I, I could definitely see a little bit of a slower start to this game if you're taking away the deep stuff from Russ with this too high safety look and you're um going to be more conservative with Jared Goff. Okay. Well, you didn't throw up all over it. That's going to be the play uh, on that second game. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Let's go ahead and get to this, this, this third game. 
And let me begin by saying I apologize to no one. And the Washington Football Club will apologize to no one Nor for taking you. the NFC East by the throat with a dominant performance against the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> Sunday <laughs> you night. You can't even that say that with a straight face, can you? So atrocious. I loved every minute of it, uh, and I hated every minute of it. But um, here's the thing. The Buccaneers and Tom Brady really had something, a point that they wanted to make at the end of the season. And, and they did it. They did what um, we all kind of expected out of the Bucs, which was, you know, they got 11 wins. They got to the postseason comfortably. It's the first time they're in the playoffs since 2007. They're on a four-game winning streak. Uh, three of those victories coming by double digits. But there are a whole bunch of you know, hold on, let's wait a minute. Let's just take our time and study this and, and and take a look at a little bit of the numbers here. So one factoid, this is from my good pal, Big Al, Big Al McMorty. Tampa has struggled this season against teams like Washington who give up less than 21 points per game. Tampa is 0-4 against the spread against such teams. and curiously enough, Washington has been pretty good against high octane offenses that score at least 28 points per game. Tampa fits that category. Washington is four and O against the spread in, 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 in that circumstance, playing against teams that are high powered offenses and Washington in those games four and O against the spread held those teams to just 17 and 0.75 points per game. Hey, okay. That there's a reason to think that, that Washington might have a chance. You and uh, uh, Bill touched on a couple other aspects of, of, of this game. The major dilemma for my Washington footballers this weekend is scoring, scoring enough points to remain competitive. The Washington's, finished 25th in passing yardage, 26th in rushing. Antonio Gibson is going to have uh, trouble against the Tampa run defense. They they uh, permitted a, a league low 80.6 yards per game. Um, Washington's offense can't score points. The only way Washington can score points is when their defense gives them preferred field position by way of a turnover. Their defense directly scores for for them, or you know Washington, um, you know, gets something out of the special team game. On offense, the idea of asking uh, a quarter Alex Smith to lead the team on an eighty-yard conventional, like let's chew up twelve play kind of drive, it's just too big of an ask. Now, uh, home underdogs in the NFL playoffs are 26 14 and 1 against the spread that's a 65% hit rate and they are straight up 23 and 18 since 1980 your guy and my guy TA Cleveland he's the first I've seen this nugget a few places but I saw it from TA first in the history of the NFL playoffs there's only two instances of a hometown team hosting a playoff game and getting greater than seven points. 
It was Tim Tebow at home with the Denver Broncos in 2010, a straight up win. And it was the beast quake. It was beast mode. Uh, uh, Marshawn, the Seattle uh, Seahawks against the New Orleans Saints, uh, shocking the world with a straight up win back in, in 2010. So I'm not calling for a straight up win out of the Washington football team. All I'm saying is there's a couple reasons to think long and hard about this situation. Last one. You made a joke about it. Tom Brady, he's 43 years old. We think that his bedtime is around 9 o'clock at night. In primetime games this season, he is 1-3 straight up and 0-4 against the spread with five touchdowns and five picks. Kick off this Saturday night, 8.15 p.m. Can Tommy get some of that Ward Sharp coffee? Sharpie, what's going on with this one? Oh, I'm so, I'm sorry. It's 11 o'clock right now. I was asleep. <laughs> I'm on Tom Brady time. Um, no, I, I, I will. L- let me just start with this. I didn't want to interrupt you. This is your team. So I wanted to let you complete your setup here. But I got some beef with some of the stats that you threw out there. So let okay. me just let me just say this. Um, I don't use points per game necessarily. Like I don't use points per game to decide if an offense is good or bad. So you threw out a nugget that against the four best offenses or offenses that average a certain threshold of points that they're four and zero against the spread. What I will share with you is this. I don't know what those offenses are or what the games uh, are part of that. But from what I can see here, this Washington football team has played five games against offenses that rank in the top 15 of efficiency. The Cleveland Browns week three, the Baltimore Ravens week four, the LA Rams week five, the Seattle Seahawks week 15, and the Carolina Panthers, surprisingly enough, yes, but they rank top 15 in week 16. They went 0-5 in those games, and they didn't cover a single spread. I guess it depends what you got on the Baltimore Ravens. If you got 14, you pushed because Washington lost by 14 in that game. But they're, they're, they're winless ATS in these five games as well. So um, from that perspective, I, I mean, there are night and day differences between the numbers you're sharing and the numbers that I'm seeing as I look through these efficiencies and results. Um, but be that as it may, uh, that's not the reason not to like to think that there could be a little bit of value for Washington here, or it's not the reason to think that Washington couldn't cover the spread. But I do want to start with the better team here, and, and that's Tampa Bay. And it's very important that Tampa jumps out early here because we shared this nugget last week when we were talking about the big game of the day last week, which was Washington, Philadelphia, how great Washington's defense is in the second half. And in part because they changed out their quarterback potentially, but Washington did not allow a single point in the second half of that game. And since week six, Washington is allowing, get this, four points in the second half on average. They have allowed a total of 44 points since week six. The next best team is the New Orleans Saints. They have allowed 77. The team after that is the Rams. They've allowed 84. Then 91 to this same Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. And 98 have the Indianapolis Colts defense. So we're talking about 
this leagues, 20,000 leagues better than the other teams on that list of best second half defenses. Now, yes, of course, some of it has to do with playing a bunch of teams from the NFC East, but they are still very good at second half adjustments. So if you are Tampa, you have to come out quick here. There's no excuse. You cannot just say, oh, yeah, we'll take this easy. We we're scared of this pass rush. Let's start the game slow. Let's run the ball a lot to keep the pass rush away from Tom Brady. I disagree with that strategy because Washington's going to be very good, as it's been historically at least, in the second half. So you got to score some points early in this game. Now, what Tampa has done recently has certainly caught my eye. And I hope it's not just because you've played the Falcons twice in the Lions. But what Tampa has done is much different the last three weeks than it was to start the season. Weeks one to 14, Tampa Bay had a very run-heavy approach on first downs in the first half. We've talked about this before. They ran the ball on 61% of their first downs in the first quarter. The NFL average is only 55%. Those runs gained three yards per carry, second worst in the NFL. Let's expand beyond just the first quarter. Let's look at the first half. They ran the ball on 52% of their first downs in the first half. That's above average run rate. Those runs gained just 2.7 yards per carry. That's the number one worst in the NFL. Why would you bring Tom Brady down here so you can run the ball at an above average rate for the worst production in the NFL is beyond me. However, the last three weeks, Byron Leftwich and Bruce Arians and Tom Brady appeared to flip the switch and they're now 67% pass on first downs in the first quarter up from 39% pass. They're averaging 8.5 yards per attempt on these passes. They're still terrible when they run the ball, but at least they're not running the ball as much. Um, and it's going to be very important for this team to pass the ball on first downs. And so when you're sitting back house with a few cocktails in your belly, watching this game and rooting on your boys, pay attention as the fans at home should be as well to see how often Tampa is passing the ball on first downs in the first half. And believe me, I'll be tracking it on my Twitter and sharing that information during the game. The other reason why you want to be passing the ball a lot on first downs is because Washington's pressure rate is significantly worse on first down than it is over the course of the second and third down plays. They are getting only 25.8% pressure on first down. The NFL average on first down is 31%, but on second down, they go all the way up to 41% pressure rate, which is way above average. The average on the second downs is only 29% across the NFL. They're up at 41%. So they're well below average pressure on first down. They're well above average on second down. And on third down, they move from 41% pressure rate up to 46% pressure rate. So they're getting more pressure on second and third downs well above the NFL average, but they are not on first down. So let's pay close attention to how often Tom Brady is passing the ball here. So I've already laid out what I think Tampa should do at a high level. I got one more deep nugget to share with you, but it's going to hurt your team even more. What Do you want me to share that with you or do you want to cut to the chase and just give your bet? Have you heard enough here? I've heard enough. I, I don't, I don't look, this is a, a rare, precious moment in my Washington fanda, fandom against all odds of uh, facing colossal uphill odds. This Washington football team is hosting a game 
here in the in the Washington D.C. area Saturday night, and they are the kings of the NFC East. Here's what I want to do. So I don't want you disadvantaging them anymore. They're already plenty disadvantaged. They're play. They're, they're starting quarterback. Um, wears a, a brace to keep his his uh, foot upright. So uh, we've got enough disadvantages. I you 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 told me when I made my play on the Bills. Uh, in that tease, I want to tease the Bills down from six and a half to a half point. You said make sure you pair that that teaser leg with one that goes through the crucial numbers. You know I've learned that over the course of this season, Warren Sharp. I, in fact, am the other half of that teaser leg is these Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm teasing them from eight and a half through the seven through the three down to two and a half. So that's my play on this. Now, I do think there are two other bonus angles on this that I want your endorsement of. Based on what you described in terms of possible winning approach for Tampa, uh, I like Tampa's first half over, and I think that team total is a, is like 13 and a half or something. Is that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I like the under for the second half. Whatever the second half total is, we'll know uh, uh, you know, I, I don't have it up. Uh, well, they don't know. have the second half total up yet, yeah, but up, yeah, I can yeah, tell you right. for the last game that they played against Philly, cause we took a little bit of that ourselves. Uh, it was under 23 in the second half. So we'll, we'll see what the total is here. This game has a little bit higher point total, um, at 45, but sometimes they're typically in line with what the first half team total was, uh, first half total, which is 23. 22 and a half to 23. So I would expect something similar to that in the second half. So those are the bonus plays. The actual play for the 13 and 0, the quest to go 13 and 0. That's Tampa as the second half of the teaser with the Bills. I'm teasing Tampa from eight and a half down to two and a half. And then a couple two bonus angles there for everybody. Tampa over 13 and a half in the first half. And then whatever the uh, under is for the total in the second half. You on board with that? I, I'm I'm on board with all of that. Um, I will share this other little nugget because um, nobody else has been discussing this that I've ever heard. Uh, I think the reason that Alex Smith ended up straining his calf muscle in the week 14 game against the 49ers and didn't play in the second half and then missed several weeks and now is playing limited and gimpy actually is because of that gruesome cleating that he took in week 13 wow. against the Pittsburgh Steelers because yeah. he got destroyed on that leg with a cleat and it was bleeding everywhere. They had to tape it up really tight. He had to play in the second half with this strong tape job. And trust me, like in the days after that, like you are favoring that the, the, the front part, there's going to be a massive contusion. There's going to be issues with that. And you're going to be walking a little different and favoring a little different, probably using your calf muscle a little bit more. Um, and so it does not shock me at all that when he got into the game the next week, um, after not practicing very much as a result of that, uh, contusion the week leading up to the 49ers game that he ends up straining it. So that's how I think he ended up hurting it, man. Oh man. Well, you know what? Um, I want him to have a very successful, extremely successful Saturday night, and I'm okay. I've made, prepared myself for the Washington football team ending their season, and then I'd like Alex Smith to hand it, hang it up and do whatever with the rest of his life he wants to do with his, his beautiful wife and his beautiful kids and not play professional football anymore. That's, that's what I would root for. That's what I'm hoping for. 
Uh, I will. I am a forever a fan of Alex Smith for his ability to come back. Uh, so amen to that thought. Um, he he's certainly deserving of comeback player of the year and and then some. And uh, if this is his final game, then then you know let let's take him out the right way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yes, exactly. That's right. Okay. Well, look, we've got Saturday in the books, and then we we that probably took us a full hour. We will not spend a full hour on Sunday. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Baltimore, Tennessee. This is the third time in basically like 12 months that Tennessee has been an underdog going up against the Ravens. Each of the two previous times, Tennessee has won outright as an underdog going up against the Ravens. I personally attribute that uh, to head coaching. I think uh, Rabel really has a particular perspective on how to succeed against Baltimore. The Ravens obviously are one of the hottest teams in the league, second hottest maybe behind uh, the Bills. Uh, They've only scored under 34 points one time in the past five games. They're winning games and blowing people out. Um, The offense is, is cooking, and especially on the run. The fascinating thing to me when I saw this research, um, the two top two teams in expected points added by way of their rushing offenses. The Ravens have the highest rushing rate in the NFL and the Titans are third. And then on first downs outside of the fourth quarter, Tennessee leads the NFL at 65% and Baltimore a second at 63%. And the running game for Baltimore has been outstanding. Over 150 yards or more in five straight games, over 200 yards in three of those games, 404 yards in week 17. J.K. Dobbins is running all all over the football field. Um, The Titans defense, obviously, gigantic question marks. um, Look like they, they could be in a position to give up a whole bunch of points and yards to the hot Ravens offense. Rank uh, the Titans 29th against the pass, 19th against the run, which, you know, in theory would help against the run heavy uh, Ravens. And then one thing for the Titans offense, uh, I haven't seen the status update on Roger Saffold. He was hurt in week 17 offensive uh, lineman for Tennessee, but um, that would be a big blow for Tennessee's offense. But Tennessee's offense um, has been, 
you know, uh, uh, the thing that has kept them alive uh, this season. How are you taking uh, this game under consideration? Well, first, um, I'll just tell you, Saffold did not practice on Wednesday, um, which is today as we're recording this. So uh, it's to be determined, but this was just a walkthrough. They didn't actually have, the Titans didn't actually have practice today, but supposedly if he, if they were practicing, he would not have been practicing today. Um, this was the game that there was the pregame dust up. If you remember earlier this season where you had the logo yes. walk and, 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 uh, you know, drop the nuts out midfield and right. see what happens and, and Harbaugh getting involved. And yeah, that was an interesting game. And now the game's in, in, uh, in Tennessee, and I'm really interested to see these two teams obviously don't like each other, right? That game was in Baltimore the last time that they played. They played them two times in Baltimore, one twice in the Ravens stadium. Uh, once was in the playoffs, completely shocked the Ravens who were absolutely rolling. They were off of a bye, come into that game. And holy cow, all of a sudden, Tennessee's up big in that game. They have to, Baltimore has to abandon the run game, focus on the pass game, which is exactly the worst thing. They tried to... Uh, get Lamar to beat them to the perimeter on man coverage. And he wasn't able to do that because they were doubling everything inside and uh, forcing the receivers to beat him in one-on-one coverage is just too difficult. What was really weird to me about the game that they played earlier this season house. Yes. Baltimore was up. Baltimore's up actually pretty big and Tennessee rallied to come back in that game and ultimately won that sucker in OT uh, with Derrick Henry running for that big touchdown. And, and he's been He's had good luck running against Baltimore. Um, But the one thing that is super, super interesting is in the first half of that game, like I do think that Mike Vrabel is inside their heads. I I really, I really think Vrabel from the first game and then the second game, look at what Baltimore did offensively in the second meeting, the, the meeting this season in the first half of the game, Baltimore goes 66% run not just on early downs, including third downs. They are 66% run. I usually give Arthur Smith and the Titans grief for running the ball on first down too much in the first quarter in the defensive stack in the box, try throwing the football. They completely took the ball out of Lamar Jackson's hands in that first half and ran the ball a ton. Then they go in the second half and make some massive, Baltimore does, make some massive adjustments, come out in the second half, and Lamar's chucking the ball all over the field. They go 61% pass, even though they're playing with a lead in the second half of the game. Lamar in the first half of the game only goes four of 11, averages only 4.9 yards per pass attempt and a very low success rate. In the second half of the game, as I said, they're throwing the ball more. He goes 12 of 17, 7.2 yards per attempt, a 71% success rate. So it was a tale of two halves for this offensive philosophy. First half is keep the ball out of Lamar's hands. Second half is let's let Lamar throw, even though he didn't do well in the first half. Very strange uh, play calling and, and, and change up for the Baltimore Ravens at halftime. So I don't really know what we're going to uh, get in this game. I can tell you that in the pr- the first game, there were seven turnovers from the Ravens effectively because they turned it over three times just regularly, and then they went for it on fourth down and failed four different times. So seven turnovers, essentially. This last game that they played, these two teams 
Combined, obviously it goes to overtime. It's tied at 24, goes to overtime. So they had 48 points in regulation, 54 total when you include the touchdown that they scored in overtime. They combined for nine trips to the red zone in that first in, in the game this season, and only three of those were converted into touchdowns, which is really a typical. Tennessee is usually pretty good in the red zone. They only, only converted two out of five, and Baltimore only converted one out of four. Another little tidbit is that the Baltimore center was playing with COVID in this game uh, because his sample was taken Sunday morning of this game, and those tests come back that night, and they find out on Monday morning that their center has COVID. So uh, he was actually playing with it. The Ravens all end up getting COVID immediately after this game, and uh, and Lamar misses you know the game against the Steelers, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of interesting elements to this game. I, once again, am pissed off at the league for sticking the best game of Sunday at 1 p.m. I mean, build up to something, will you? Like, do we have to see Mitchell Trubisky at four? Do we have oh. to see the corpse of the Cleveland Browns coaching staff at 8.15? Like, I would much rather see this game at 8.15. You and I are in the, absolutely the, the, the same uh, position in terms of that, um, the league wants, I guess, Big Ben and the, that Pittsburgh and all the terrible towels for primetime Sunday night. And I guess Drew Brees is still a draw in that four o'clock slot on Sunday. I don't get it. Um, maybe, you know, the idea is the high powered Saints offense. But um, in, in any event, this game is Baltimore favored by three going into Tennessee. And you know this um, from some of the attitude I've shared with you over the course of the season. I don't believe in Baltimore. They've beat three teams with a w winning record. Um, well, they, let me put that uh, uh, more, more directly and correctly. They have 11 wins. Against uh, uh, Of those 11 wins, only three have come against winning teams, and two of those were against the Browns. They beat the Browns twice. So... I think that this Ravens team has absolutely loaded up on a, on, on, and, and in a way that a good team does, you take care of get a business against bad teams. We just saw it on Sunday. They absolutely hammered the Bengals 38 to three. It was a must win game for the Ravens to, to uh, preserve their, their playoff chances. Um, but their, their, their stretch, their winning streak is the Bengals, the giants, the Jaguars, that Browns shootout on Monday night, which was probably the most entertaining game of the season, at least it was for me, and they beat the, the, the Cowboys. They have losses this season to the Steelers, the Titans, a bad loss to the Patriots. Um, they lost to the Steelers twice the, the, this season, uh, and then the, the, they lost to the Chiefs in, in week three. Um, so I... My my play for this game in the quest to go 13 and 0, I'm I'm playing a parlay, and this is absolutely uh, the way a square guy does it. I believe in Tennessee. I'm just going to play their money line, and I'm parlaying the Tennessee money line with the over because I want to watch a shootout. the The total for this game is 54 and a half. I have parlayed the Tennessee money line, which is sitting there at plus 160 with the over and uh that is a nearly four to one return uh on that wager tell me how square that is 
Um, it's square, but if you like Tennessee, I think you want to like the over here um, because I don't think their defense is holding Baltimore scoreless. Um, Baltimore has been clicking a little bit of late against some bad defenses, but Tennessee's defense is no different. I will share this thing I just looked up. Um, I'm not really a proponent of like all of these types of of trends, as you know, but I, I started thinking about this game as you were talking. It got me a little bit curious. So. Here's the trend. You lost to a team once in your last meeting, and it was this year. And the time you played them before this year, you also lost to them as well. And now you're facing them in the playoffs. Since 2013, those teams are 11, 6, and 3 ATS. Uh, So Baltimore falls into that trend of having lost their last two meetings to Tennessee and now facing them in the playoffs. And if you are favored, you have gone 6 and 0 straight up and 5-0-1 ATS. Now, most of those games are at home. You're a home favorite. So the fact that they're favored on the road would be the first time since the 2013 playoffs when the 49ers played the Carolina Panthers in the divisional round, if you want to go back and check some notes on that game. But the Panthers, sorry, the Panthers were home as an underdog against the 49ers when Carolina had won the meeting earlier that year and the prior meeting, um, and they lost that game 23-10. to So that doesn't necessarily play in your favor, but uh, I do think that that parlay makes a lot of sense, and the payback is certainly worth it um, if you want to fade Baltimore to just take it and parlay it to the over. I like the revenge um, trend that you just shared because, as as you described earlier um, when you were talking about the game, it's real revenge. These teams like really don't like each other, and they have played. This will be the third time, you know, in inside of a calendar year. So it's it's genuine, uh, uh, proper revenge. And I, I'm willing to hold my nose and stick with with the, with the wager. I know the trends are against it, um, but I'll, I'll go ahead and ride with Tennessee. Let's ride, my friend. Let's ride. Okay. Speaking of ride, with all due respect to all the good people of Chicago and all my fantastic friends down in New Orleans, and what a food scene down there. I can't wait for the pandemic to be over so I can get back down to New Orleans. Um, This is my least favorite game on the slate. I think it's the least interesting game. It's the Chicago Bears going to New Orleans. New Orleans is favored by 10 points. The total is 47. Chicago on a little bit of a hot streak. They needed it. They won four of their last five games. Um, Saints uh, have scored 85 points in their past two games. That's that's pretty good. Uh, this is just like that Ravens-Tennessee game, another overtime rematch from the regular season. The Saints went into Chicago back in week eight and won uh, with a field goal, uh, 26-23. Since then, the Saints have been um, extraordinary on defense. They have been allowing opponents to score on a league low 26.7% of their possessions over that span of eight games and a league low 14.9%, under 15% of their opponents' drives end in touchdowns. And over those nine games, the Saints have held six of their opponents to 16 total points or fewer. Now, we have on this podcast been critical of the Chicago Bears and their offensive approach, their offensive game plan, 
but the Bears seem to have gained a little bit of a spark when they went to, to Mitchell Trubisky. They went back to him, and they put uh, Bill Lazor in that offensive coordinator um, spot. Now, they, they have been on a, a, a decent run, but, you know, we want to tap the brakes a little bit. And again, I think this is some of Rebar's work. The Bears were just 1-6 this season against teams with a winning record. Uh, the worst record amongst all playoff teams. They only played five teams all season that were in the top 10 in defensive EPA allowed. And the Bears scored only... 16 points per game, a little over 16 points per game, as opposed to 26 and a half points per game. The Saints also are able of putting pressure on the quarterback. Mitchell Trubisky has not faced that um, on this most recent run. Uh, New Orleans fifth in the league in pressure rate, and that'll be the highest ranked pressure team that Mitchell has faced. So the big question for New Orleans, of course, what's going on with all its weapons? Will Alvin Kamara uh, be cleared with the COVID? Uh, Michael Thomas is eligible uh, to come off injured reserve. Is he going to play? Michael Thomas and Drew Brees this season have played 10 quarters of football together. But the, the backbone of the Saints team is the defense and they're great against the pass and great against the run, and they're great at forcing turnovers. So that's why this is a double-digit line. What do you think about this game? Um, I really just don't like this game. Uh, <laughs> I really we don't. We didn't even talk about it ahead of time. I just knew I looked at it and thought, I'm going to shit-talk this game. I, I, I don't. And again, no offense. And, and it's not that I don't respect or like either of these teams. I just It's just not sexy whatsoever to me. Um, so I think the point you brought up on the pressure is going to be very important to see how Mitch Trubisky does against that pressure. And the, obviously the low hanging fruit here is, is, is exactly as you said, this team has done really well against some really bad defenses of late. And how will they do against the defense like the saints? I mean, both of these defenses technically rank top 10 um, but I think both of these defenses are not quite as good as, as the ranking. I'm certainly not going to throw the bears offense up there as anything great, but when you look at, and we'll probably talk about this later, but when you look at some, some good offenses that the saints have played so far this year, like top 15 offenses, I mean, they're get, they're giving up points to the, to the Raiders. They're giving up points and 34 to the Raiders, 37 to the Packers, they narrowly beat the the Panthers, twenty seven to twenty four. Um, they give up thirty three to the Vikings. I know they end up walloping the Vikings, but their defense certainly didn't look very good in that game. They obviously lose to Mahomes, giving up thirty two in that game, um, uh, and and they handle the Panthers uh, in Week seventeen. And that was a game that, yeah, the Saints needed to win that game. Uh, they were hoping to win to get the shot at the first round, first round bye, uh, but. I'll tell you that final score is not indicative of that game. I bet the Panthers. That was my only loss. I went six and one in week 17. And that was the only loss I had with Panthers, Panthers 
plus the points. And Teddy Bridgewater drove him down there multiple times and just turned the ball over a ton. And so they ended up pulling Teddy because he was just playing so terribly. But they put up yards, just not points. But the Panthers hung with them close in the prior game. So bottom line here is like I, I'm I'm I know some of the guys that I work with absolutely love the Saints defense. Like Rant and Rave think it's like their ticket to the Super Bowl is because of how outstanding this defense is. And I do think they'll play better during the playoffs, but um, it, it, they haven't quite impressed me as much. Um, that being said, it's, it's just going to be tough for the Bears to figure out something to do here. Uh, the Saints, the one thing that they are very good at is stopping the run. They've played the third toughest schedule of run offenses, and they've got the fourth best run defense. So you're not going to be able to rely on David Montgomery as much. You're going to need Mitch Trubisky to work some magic through the air. And that's a problem when you got a great team that's good at pressuring you. So um, I, I really think that this team is going to be in for some trouble, but the point spread obviously indicates that uh, with them catching 10 points. So I don't have a strong feel. I'm really curious to see what angle you want to attack this game with. I'm, I'm, going to um this could be my afternoon nap game you know it, it's it's uh, if my nap starts at 3 30 and i can sleep through the first half of this game that will will be fine Ooh, how are you starting at 3 30 you're gonna be catching you're gonna miss a tail end of the ravens titans game there's no chance no 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 as that as that game fades into in, into this game there'll be a nap as the guest over that transition period i just threw out 3 30 that's not when the nap's gonna really start I am just going to go ahead and directly lay a tiny play on New Orleans minus 10 and let that be it. When I wake up in the second half and see that they're up by 21 points and watch Trubisky uh, try and throw the ball uh, down the field a little bit, it'll give me a chuckle. It'll put me in a good frame of mind. It'll be um, the nice appetizer before my delightful Sunday night dinner and the Pittsburgh-Cleveland game. I'm just going to lay the points. New Orleans at home, minus 10. All right. I have no opinion on that. I will honestly... <laughs> I've, I've got some strong takes elsewhere on this pod. I have no opinion yet. I have not done anything with this game myself, um, and I don't have an itchy trigger finger either. Yeah, yeah. It's the nap It's the nap time 10-pointer. That's it. But we're going to try and go away at 13-0. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, you gotta we'll, we'll have play something. it. We'll yeah. play it. I'm going to play it. Count on it. Okay. Last game of the weekend. And we're slightly disappointed because it could have been juicy, right? Stefanski's going to win coach of the year, I think. And I think he deserves it. Agree. You just, yeah. Okay. Good. Strong uh, agree. I mean, yes. let's, let's be real. Strong agree. Uh, it should have been, it could have been in the conversation, Brian Flores. That loss in that fashion and missing the playoffs, it's his second year there. Stefanski gets grades for first-time head coach during a pandemic and being able to not have a losing record. Boom, that gives you some, some major props in my book. Doing it with the Cleveland freaking Browns, um, are you kidding me? In a division where you've got two other teams that actually made the playoffs also. So it's not like you got a cupcake division. Um, good division. And then last but not least, the Cleveland Browns track record in this whole thing is just terrible uh, historically. And he's able to produce the results that he's got. I mean, uh, not just produce a winning season, but get to the postseason, get to the playoffs in his first year. I, I think that there's a lot of deserving coaches for this award. I think it's a tough race this year, but I would absolutely 
hardcore go for Kevin Stefanski here. Great. We're, we're, we're on the same page about that. We'll see if we're on the same page about the correct wager to make here. I don't think there's like a ton of intrigue around, um, you know, how to size up this, this matchup. Cause we've seen these teams um, play against each other twice already this season. And, you know, the Steelers handle the Browns, the Steelers handle the Browns. They're 14 and zero at home against the Browns under Mike Tomlin, including the 38 to seven ass whipping back in week six. They damn near with Mason Rudolph kept the Browns from getting into the playoffs. This most recent uh, Sunday, you know, they lost because Pittsburgh uh, couldn't convert a, a, a two pointer at the end, but Mason Rudolph threw the effing football 50 yards down the field at the end of the game. The Browns against the, you know, a, a, a whole slew of second stringers on uh, the Steelers really had to fight and scratch and claw. And they were in that position because it seems like, it seems like they have been fighting COVID and the Browns organization for a month. They're in that position where that two-pointer at the end of week 17 against Pittsburgh second stringers is a crucial moment in the franchise's uh, uh, history because they lost to the Jets without any wide receivers two weeks prior. And they lost to the Jets without any wide receivers because they have this ongoing, apparent, raging COVID problem with the Cleveland Browns. Now, on the football side of things, it was kind of fun to see Baker Mayfield this season. I enjoy uh, the charisma and the character of him. Um, we know from having watched, he doesn't like pressure. The Pittsburgh Steelers can bring pressure. The shootout between the Browns and the Ravens, we mentioned it. That's my favorite football game of the entire season. Anytime a quarterback has to leave to go take a giant dump, that's my game of the year. Uh, without until further notice, but um, I think that the intrigue for this is what version of Pittsburgh shows up. Is it the Pittsburgh offense in particular that throws the ball down the football field? All those weapons we saw against the Colts, we saw Ben Roethlisberger all of a sudden flip a switch. It felt like we've been begging for it for six weeks. Throw the ball down the field. What's wrong with Ben? Why can't he get the ball down the field? To all these terrific weapons, Juju and Claypool, and you know, lo, lo and be Deontay, lo and behold, he starts <laughs> putting putting his finger in the sand, and they're throwing the ball down the field against the Colts, and they come back and blow him out, and that's the version of the Pittsburgh Steelers I want to see. How are you sizing up this game? Well, there's two things that don't even really involve X's and O's, uh, but surround this game that I first look towards. And number one is the rest that Ben Roethlisberger received by not playing last week and his team sitting him. We know that this was a big storyline amongst some people about how the Steelers didn't get a bye. They never had a week off to rest. Their bye week was actually they were prepping for an opponent that week. So all of a sudden the league comes in late and says the game's not going to be played. And it's going to you're going to have a, a game played during your your regular bye. And so now you just have to start getting ready for somebody else. Um, so they never really took any time off. Apparently, as was reported earlier today, 
This Ben Roethlisberger did not throw the football at all. If we're going to believe Ben, right? Some people don't believe Ben, but if we're going to believe the report that Ben told the reporter, Aditi Kinkabuala, that he said he did not throw the football at all. And that was very beneficial to his feeling this week to 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 the way to his mood to his energy level he said he feels like a million bucks right now and he also reported that i think it was after his elbow surgery that this year he's been throwing the football a little bit more with his legs and aditi mentioned that he was like his legs were tired also for not resting whatsoever so his legs and his arm and so his whole body rested and he just feels great. So that's one thing to consider here is they gave him some rest and he should feel better than he has for most of the season. The second thing is Kevin Stefanski being out with COVID and he's the coach of the year, in my opinion. So it's a bigger deal than most. One of the other reasons I think he deserves coach of the year that we didn't mention is because he's the offensive coordinator who calls all the freaking plays. He's the guy who turned Baker Mayfield from a bum that a lot of people thought couldn't cut it in the NFL to a guy who's leading this team to double digit wins into the postseason. Um, he's got an offensive structure with personnel grouping usage and play calls and a philosophy and play action and all of these things that really suit Baker Mayfield. Well, well, the offensive system is not going to change. The game script itself is not going to change. But what happens once that script runs out and the art of play calling, it really is an art. There's a science that I get involved with, with trying to help figure out tactical ways to attack a defense and what the offensive strengths are through some self-scouting, attacking what a defense is weak at, trying to find little angles and off statistics elements to help a team, you know, like I was talking about with the holding penalties and referee uh, scouting refs and things of that nature. There's a lot that goes into trying to come up with a game plan, but the art of calling the plays at the right time and timing them out and sequencing things and studying, oh, well, they did this here. So now next time I'm going to try this and then we're going to build off of that. You see guys like Kyle Shanahan, Brian Dayball, Josh McDaniels, dial up new plays spur of the moment mid game that they weren't even practicing before. So you have that element of things that Kevin Stefanski was able to bring to the table that he's no longer able to bring to the table. I think that will end up hurting Cleveland, not as much in the first quarter, but as the game progresses and he's not going to be there as the, as the voice that Baker's so comfortable with in his ear and seeing him on the sideline to go up and talk to him. Um, so that's going to be really interesting. If we dive into the X's and O's briefly in terms of what we're actually going to see on the field from like a player perspective, two things that I think are interesting from the Steelers side of things. Number one, Joshua Dobbs, like Josh Dobbs came in and ran the ball a little bit. Are we going to see any packages? Cause the Steelers can't run the football at all with their running backs. Are we going to see any packages where Josh Dobbs is out there? Will they try any short yardage plays with Josh Dobbs? Because we know they refuse to sneak the ball with Ben Roethlisberger. So would they bring Dobbs in, in a short yardage situation and get under center? Would Cleveland go, Holy shit, they're sneaking the ball now and crowd the line. Would Josh Dobbs then pass out of that or flip it to a running back to run around the perimeter or better yet, in my opinion, though I hate to do this when you only need a, a yard to gain, but 
have Jet Motion come in behind him for a handoff away from Miles Garrett's side of the field. Obviously, don't do this towards Miles Garrett, but Olivier Vernon is out of this game for the Cleveland Browns, and he's a big factor on the edge. If he's not there, do a, a jet sweep to the side away from Miles Garrett. So there are some little things and details that I think Pittsburgh can have an advantage of if they try to incorporate that. The biggest question mark for me in this game, besides just, well, how is Cleveland going to look offensively, is how much is this Steelers offense going to change after what we saw them do in week 16 in that second half against the Colts when Ben said, let's do some of the stuff I was doing in the past and the other team wasn't prepared for it at all. Life is going to be very difficult, I can assure you, for the Browns defensive coordinator this week because they're used to seeing what the Steelers have done in all of their prior uh, 15 games up at, well, 14 games up until that one. And now all of a sudden, wait, are, is the Steelers going to try some of the stuff they were doing in the second half against the Colts? And if so, what are they going to pull out against us? And, you know, I hope the Steelers keep them guessing the worst thing an offense can do is become predictable. That's what it was with Randy Fichtner. Use some of this stuff from Ben, use some of the stuff from the past. Don't save it for the second half, sprinkle it in, in the first half. And, uh, I'm, I'm just really curious to see how the Steelers try to attack them with with a week off, more or less, uh, that no other team in the league really had the benefit of, except for yeah. those that are actually on buys. I, I also just wanted to mention, in terms of the COVID impacts for for Cleveland, uh, they're losing their left guard, Pro Bowler Joel Betonio, um, and that that seems like for the Browns, with their running game being you know such a prominent part, that loss um feels feels prominent right feels like it could be a big deal this feels to me like a bad spot for the cleveland browns i mean this is we talked over the the course of the season about the bills and their ascendance in the afc east and we looked at them going up uh, against the patriots they went down to new england and they beat the pants off new england and they announced to the afc east and to new england we are the daddy you ain't the daddy no more I think this is a similar kind of spot in that sense for Cleveland as an upstart team that's really on a great path, making the playoffs. I just don't think they're ready to be the daddy yet. I was comfortable at the beginning of the week laying uh, the four and a half that I think it opened at, uh, laying four, and then uh, it went off the board with the COVID news about Stefanski it reopened at six. I'm comfortable laying the six as well. I think this is going to be Pittsburgh winning, uh, what is it, this eight, 17th, 18th straight game against the Browns. And I think uh, Pittsburgh is going to cover the six. I, I, I can't hate on that. I will say the line is dropping. So some guys came in, obviously laid Pittsburgh early then took a little bit uh, at six, maybe bought a half point. I'm not sure exactly what they did, uh, if they just took the six or not. But I got a little bit of Cleveland and now have a nice little opportunity in the middle there for this game to fall a little bit closer. But um, I, I don't disagree with you uh, from this from this side. I think that the Steelers certainly have every opportunity here, a team that they're quite familiar with, a team that's playing a little bit shorthanded. And as you mentioned, the way to get to Baker, the way to beat the Cleveland Browns is just get pressure on Baker Mayfield. Without Batonio in there and with a team that still is adequately good at pressuring that gave it their pass rushers the 
week off last week when they played the Browns uh, to get back in there and try to go after Baker in this offensive line. And then Baker gets pressured and Stefanski's not there to clean up his messes. Uh, it could be pretty interesting to see what the Steelers are able to do. Uh, I think if Ben throws up on himself, then you got a good shot for Cleveland to steal this one. But otherwise, I do think that Pittsburgh should be able to get the job done. Okay, well, that's it. That That's my sixth uh, wager across the six games. Now, I just for funsies, I'm not recommending anybody do this, but you could if you wanted to just have a taste on everything. See how far you make it with this one. You might lose it at the very beginning. If you played every favorite on the money line across the six games in a parlay, you can get uh, five to one odds. So the, the that's the Bills, the Seahawks, the Bucks, the Ravens, the Saints, and the Steelers all on the money line. That that um, pays off near five to one. Um, that do you that, have a death the, wish? A, a favorite funsy. Well, it's just you know. That, <laughs> that 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 payoff does certainly not seem like it is worth it to parlay every single favorite. That payoff of only five to one to me does not seem like it would be would be worth it. And uh, certainly the sweat that you would accumulate over the course of the day uh, may not make it uh, that valuable to you. But, um, you know, hey, anything could happen. Anything is no. possible. Well, look, it, it, well, what's the point of doing this podcast unless I give out one dumb square play? There's, there's, that's the square play of Super Wild Card Weekend. Sharpie, I mean, I feel like I should go to bed now uh, and just stay in bed until Saturday morning so I'm well rested for, for, for this weekend. The problem with this year more than any, and I know our producers are going to be pissed that this is going long, but it's not our fault that they put six games here on a wild, super wild card weekend. We'll, we'll be able to do next week a lot quicker. But I will say this, you got to pay attention this whole week because of COVID. You don't know what yeah. could happen. You got to keep your eyes and ears peeled to all the information as possible because stuff could happen right up until the day before the game. Um, so you could you you should track injuries as you typically would, but with COVID, I mean, nothing is safe until that game actually kicks off. Sharpie, we'll be following you all weekend long as soon as the first ball goes in the air Saturday on on, on the Twitter. Uh, it is I, I have four screens to watch football. Your Twitter feed now goes on 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 the primary computer screen um because you know i i i you, you you've been on a, on a hell of a roll lately i'll make sure well knowing that i'll make sure that i try to stay a little bit more engaged sometimes i i'm i'm focused on watching but with such few games i do like to chime in a little bit more frequently so i'll try to do that i would also strongly advise last sharp point of the uh super wild card weekend is if you do have multiple screens in your viewing location and you're typically used to putting up two games at a time or three games at a time, put the same game up on your second TV, pause it using your DVR for about four seconds and then press play, mute that TV. And what you will get is instant replay the entire game long of anything you want to see. You could just glance over there and you will get instant replay it is one of the things that you will be like, holy shit, why didn't I think of this before if you aren't doing it? Uh, that is my my biggest, strongest advice of the weekend. 
Outstanding. We we are so ready for Super Wild Card Weekend. We didn't even get to your menu. I don't even know what you're going to eat all weekend. How are you going to fuel yourself for this thing? I haven't even thought of it, my friend. I've been uh, getting late nights till four fifteen, working for some coaches and uh, and and then working on other stuff and recording some lovely pods for the fine folks in the Ringer community. I haven't focused on food yet. Tell me what you've got. I, I have a feeling you've been putting a little bit more thought into it than I have. Well, no, I mean, I, I have all the eligible candidates, but I haven't bit down hard on anything. This is midweek. We're just going through the numbers right now. We want to make sure that all the gambling gurus, the wagering wizards, the betting buddies out there know how we're feeling about these games. We have a quest to go 13 and oh, I'm going to go six and oh, when it comes to my food choices, chili is 1000% in the mix it's cold it's the east coast so there's going to be mm. a chili on sunday because i'm i'm a traditionalist i'm an old guy i'm a middle-aged guy chili on sunday saturday stew saturday nice earthy beef stew and i have one ingredient for you do not sleep on this this is a crucial element anchovy paste get all your other ingredients get it all together you want the umami and you can have Whatever your choice cut of, of beef is as the base for this and your traditional beef stew ingredients and elements and, and uh, um, all that you pull together, if you want to take that flavor profile from a 6 to an 11, anchovy paste. Well, buddy, I, I'm not going to be able to disagree with you uh, on your Sunday choice, but I can't go back to back like uh, things I'm eating with a spoon out of a bowl type deal. Like I, I don't, I don't know. I gotta, well, I gotta have something. I gotta have something about? that I'm eating with my hands, my fingers, some finger food during the game, something that I can grab and and eat. So I love the chili idea. But look, you, you I'm sure you whip up a masterful beef stew. And the umami element of it uh, certainly sounds <laughs> tremendous. So I'm not going to knock you for it. But I do want to know what your full out menu is. So please, before the day starts each day, tweet out what your full menu is for each of the uh, each of the day's slates. We'll get the menu and I'll get some pictures up on the Twitter as well. Boom. There you go. There we go. It's going to be a great week, Sharpie. So excited. Let's go. 